Okay, we like I said, we're beginning a new quarter, but we're going to be continuing our study in Galatians, the letter to Galatia. And if you've been with us the last weeks, of course, last week we had our harvest weekend. I hope you enjoyed that with our lessons from Brother Richard Harp. Uh, thought they were very good, and uh, it's always good to see a young man who kind of came up with us in the congregation. Now he's out preaching the word, preaching the word, and uh, you could, I could see, I could see a lot of maturity there from when he was here before to when he is now, and so uh, that's a that's a good thing. It, it makes you feel like, you know, you're helping people along a little bit. You're you're actually doing something to to provide for for evangelism, and it plays right into our lesson today. We're going to talk about that a little bit. So it's a wonderful thing. If you've been studying and if you've been here, you know we've been going through that letter to the churches in Galatia. These were the churches that Paul established pretty much on his first missionary journey as he traveled into Galatia. There were several congregations of the Lord's church that he helped establish there. Of course, God provided the growth. And then he went back and visited them. We can read about that in Acts. And then he had to write a letter to these churches because there were some things creeping in after he, after he left, right? There were those who were teaching that you gotta keep the law of Moses still, that you're still bound to the law, that you still gotta be circumcised because that is the sign of the covenant. And he's trying to teach them, no, we now have a freedom, a liberty in Christ Jesus. That old law has been nailed to the cross. We are now under the new covenant. We now have that liberty in Christ Jesus, that law of love. Sure, we have the law to guide us. We, we, we see what's right and wrong through that law and through the thing, the tenets of the law, but it's not there to control us, to lord over us. It's not there for us to keep to the last dot, jot and tittle, right? It's there to guide us. We live now through love of the Father. First commandment was love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, right? Second, the same as the first, to love your neighbor as yourself. Upon all these, upon this, hangs all the law and the prophets. You see, the original design was you would love God as he has loved you. And it's pretty simple when you say it, right? It's a pretty simple thing. Maybe not so easy to practice. And that's what the law was there for, to help us to understand better what righteousness was, what truth was, what that truth was that God had revealed for us. Yeah, we can't keep the law in the flesh. It's not possible. There's only one that's good, Christ Jesus. But we have that to guide us. And we now live through faith, through God's grace. We have that forgiveness of when we fall short of that law, when we fall short of the truth. But we live in love for him as he has loved us. That's the theme, that's the idea that Paul's trying to get across to those who are in Galatia who are falling back into these teachings, right? The Judaizing teachers coming in, creeping back in and saying, no, you still got to keep the law. You still got to do all these Old Testament things, right? And that's what he's trying to get them away from. We even read where he said, you know, I came and taught you, and now you're going back? What's up with you guys? Come on, you know? You see a little of that in his, in his tone in the first few chapters there. Today we're going to read a little more about that, where Paul reminds them of that history he shared with them, that history that he had when he came and preached to these congregations in Galatia, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified. <clears throat> He's going to talk a little bit about how he first came there, how they accepted him, 
and how he was confident they were willing to sacrifice, sacrifice for him. He was sacrificing for them, and he's going to tell them they were, how they were willing to do that for him. Turn over to chapter 4 there, Galatians chapter 4, and let's read. <clears throat> let's go back to verse 8 where we, the last time we met, we were reading about it. It's verse 8 of chapter 4. He said, but then, indeed, when you do not know God, you serve those by which, you serve those which by nature are not gods. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? In other words, he's saying, you're not, you're not, you're, why are you going back to being bound by the law? The, the weak and beggarly elements, the, the Jews knew the law, the Gentiles were taught it. He's saying, why are you going back? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Of course, our last lesson, we talked about how you've got to be careful about religious holidays and so forth, right? Because he's saying you're going back. It's not about that. We don't even have evidence of them observing any holidays like that in, Christian, in, the, in the first century church. Then in verse 12, he says, Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. In my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Okay. Paul has some pretty blatant statements there, right? He's describing an argument of sentiment, a sentimental argument, right? He's saying, look, I came to you in infirmity. That's why I came to you first. We don't know what that was necessarily. But for some reason, he's saying, that's why I came to the churches in Galatia. Perhaps some say he had, got, he had contracted an illness. I don't know, maybe it was COVID-2. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But some others say he still had issues with his eyes. Remember what happened on the road to Damascus? He was blinded, right? Lost his sight. Perhaps he was still having issues. And that might be alluded to there in verse 15, right? When he says, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Sounds to me he might be referring to that there, right? You know, you guys were so willing to sacrifice for me that you would have given me your own sight. Now, I don't think Paul was completely blind, obviously. He, he traveled a whole lot. That would be tough if he was blind, especially in the first century, right? But he probably had some infirmity where he had, maybe, maybe it was a legally blind thing, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe it was just colorblind, I don't know. Turn over to uh, first, Second Corinthians, and let's read about that real quick. I know you've probably had a study on this. You probably tried to ponder what his infirmity was. Let's just see it, let's just see what he's actually said about this. Second Corinthians uh, 12. beginning in verse 7. 
he says, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, he says, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, in other words, unless I be puffed up because of what God has done for me, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me, and he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure. Wait a minute. What do you say there? Though I feel, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Interesting concept, right? In the world today, we don't think about somebody being weak to be strong, right? That's what Paul's saying here. I have an infirmity, whatever it was, perhaps it was blindness, perhaps he had trouble with his sight. But whatever it was, God was glorified because of it. God was glorified in the world because it was dark. Here's a man with an infirmity preaching the gospel, rejoicing in the fact that he's persecuted because of it, rejoicing in the fact that he has an infirmity, that he can suffer for the work of God, for the work of the kingdom, right? What a concept. You don't hear that kind of thing in the world today, do you? That's what he's saying. I had that infirmity. And guess what? You guys in Galatia, you accepted me. Even with my infirmity, whatever that was, you accepted me. You're willing to sacrifice for me. I had to sacrifice. I have this infirmity. I have trials and tribulations. We're going to read about them in a second. And yet you were there to help me out. This passage describes that sentimental argument by Paul. One of several that we've talked about, of course, he had the personal argument where he, he dealt with these people. He was there for them. He was with them. He loved them. Also, the scriptural uh, argument about the law of Moses and whether we're still under it, the practical, the sen- and now the sentimental, and eventually the allegorical. We're going to talk about all these by the time we're through with our study. But remember, he is defending justification by faith rather than by the law of Moses. So, this passage kind of makes you think about what were they sacrificing? What were they doing to cause, to be able to accept Paul and his infirmity? What, what was going on there? What was the big deal? Well, the spread of the gospel can be hindered if we don't appreciate sacrifice, right? When a preacher goes out into the world to preach, Does he sacrifice anything? Usually. You know, well, you might see some preachers on TV who look like they're doing pretty good, right? They don't like they're sacrificing too much. But there's a lot of brothers and sisters who go out to evangelize in the world who've pretty much given up a life of luxury, pretty much given up perhaps a family even, to work in the kingdom of heaven. 
many have to do things like move. Think about that, right? Preachers don't tend to stay in one place very long. In fact, if you find a congregation where you've had a preacher there for 30 years, that's pretty much an anomaly, right? I know it happens, but for the most part it doesn't. They move around a lot, kind of like you in the Army, right? You veterans know what I'm talking about. There's that. Other things might be the loss of benefits that are provided in a secular job. I don't know how many of you may have retired. I know a lot of you are. A lot of you are still working. Do you have benefits with your job? I know a lot of that's going away. I know that's changing. I have a job. I have benefits, health benefits. I could probably retire if I wanted to, except for benefits. Yeah. Hey, what, 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 what? What are you working for? We just need benefits. Well, I got to start paying for them if I do that. So there's that financial thing, right? You might, some of you might be in the same boat. I would love to retire. My job is killing me right now. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. And I probably got some of you out there in the same boat. But one of the biggest reasons I haven't yet is because of benefits. Preachers have the same situation, don't they? In fact, a few years ago, while I was an elder here, our preachers didn't have benefits to the congregation. They had to get their own thing. That's changed in recent years. We now have a benefit package for able to offer our ministers, and that's one of the reasons we have three or four ministers now. It's an attraction, right? It's something that they don't necessarily get out there at other congregations who can't support that. It's very expensive. So that's one of those things, right? Loss of benefits that might be provided. Dangers might be traveling in unsafe places. We got some guys we support who are living in some pretty unsafe places. Roger Stephen is in the Middle East. He's a Christian in a Muslim area. He preaches to Muslims. Can you imagine a more terrifying thing than that? <laughs> but he does that. We have others who live in Africa. We have others that live in South Africa, other places where you have tribes that will just come in and raid a village at times. Those are unsafe places. And you think, well, here it is, 2022, and we still have that. Yeah, that's still out there in the world. You have those kind of things. Kind of makes you think twice about going out into the world, doesn't it? How about the resistance to believe? You know, we, we've been having this go and do theme for the last year or two, and it's a wonderful thing. And through our preachers and through many of you, we've knocked a lot of doors in the last couple of years. But I don't see a tremendous amount of fruit from that. Yeah, there's been some fruit, and thank God for that. But you could knock a thousand doors. You might have one person show up, and I'm not knocking that. That's a wonderful thing if one person shows up. But it's tough. It's tough to go out and preach when nobody wants to hear it. Right? Wouldn't you rather preach to someone who wants to hear it? 
We're going to be seeing an election here in a couple months. You're going to see a lot of campaign speeches in the next couple months. Usually when a candidate's speaking to people, yeah, they want to hear it, right? It's a lot easier to speak to them when they want to hear it, isn't it? When they start throwing tomatoes and apples at you, it's a little tougher to keep preaching, right? When they start cursing you, when they start throwing rocks at you, it makes it tough. And yes, that happens. Or how about a lack of understanding by immature and false brethren? Now, I like to think of our congregation here as a congregation of wonderful people, and we are. We have some wonderful, loving, serving people here. But do we have some here a little immature? Yeah. We got roughly five, six hundred members. Yeah, you're gonna have a few that are immature. You got some that may not truly believe. Yeah, you're gonna have that. Well, what do you mean? They're all here. How can they not believe? I guarantee you, there will be someone sitting in this congregation today in our worship service that really doesn't believe. They may not say it, but their heart's not there. Preachers have to deal with things like that. A lot of stuff going on. Yet the Lord said in Matthew 18, I mean, uh, Matthew 28, 19, therefore go out on the world making disciples of all nations, not just people here in the church building, not just people here in Sugar Hill or Buford, not just the people in Georgia, all over the world. Interesting concept, right? got to go out and teach it. Otherwise, Romans 10, how are they going to hear if they don't have a preacher? Gospel must be preached to all nations. And preachers must be willing to endure, including sacrificing. Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, let's just go read some of the things he endured. And we've read this before. It doesn't hurt to be reminded of it. Second Corinthians chapter 11. And let's start with verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. And journeys often in perils of waters, and perils of robbers, and perils of my own countrymen, and perils of the Gentiles, and perils in the city, and perils in the wilderness, and perils in the sea, and perils among false brethren, and weariness. And toil, and sleeplessness often, and hunger and thirst, and fastings often, and cold and nakedness. Beside the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak? Am I? And I am. I am not weak. Who is made to stumble? And I do not burden with indignation. I mean, could you endure all that? And continue on. 
Or you say, I give up. I can't do this anymore. I'm going home, take a nap. We got it pretty good, don't we? Don't we? I'm, I'm not trying to knock your financial or physical situation. I know we have infirmity here. I know we have financial trouble here. This many people, that's going to be the way it is. <clears throat> but I don't think anybody here is being beaten five times with 40 strikes minus one. We got it pretty good. Yet, as a preacher, evangelist, we got to be willing to sacrifice, even to the point of persecution. Say, well, we're not persecuted like that today. Oh, oh. Maybe not here in Buford. Go to Africa, India. We have preachers who have been killed in India for their faith. We know about it. We've been, it's been reported in the last year. It goes on, folks. Most who go out and preach, of course, know this, right? They know they've got to sacrifice. But they also know that they're going to be rewarded. Let's turn over to Matthew 5. One of the Beatitudes. What's it say? You should know it. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, the sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Where's your motivation? It's right there, right? That's Jesus' words. You have a reward in heaven. It doesn't matter what happens to you here, physically, mentally, financially. You got the hope. And that's what should be motivating. That's what should be the thing that keeps us going, right? Mark 10, turn over there. See what the Lord says about that. Mark 10 and verse uh, 28. Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there was no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Wait, when? This time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Wait a minute, is he saying there that if you do this, you're going to be rich in this time? You're going to have all this? No. No. Remember what we talked about and we studied John? What's one of the last things John says there? These things were written that you may have abundant life. 
He's talking about life there. He's talking about your life now and in eternity. In fact, as a believer, you're in eternity. The flesh is going to die. The Spirit's going to be on, going on. So you're being blessed now. You're not, you're not going to necessarily have wealth and health and wealth, but you have that abundant life. That's what he's really referring to there. You have the hope. You have a peace that passes all understanding. Interesting concept, right? Easy to say, right? Not that necessarily easy to practice or, well, keep in mind, maybe. And maybe that should be your focus. Most to preach the gospel understand these things. There's a need to be to sacrifice. There's a lot of stuff that preachers don't perhaps participate in, don't do because of the nature of their job. Usually they don't get paid that well. We're blessed here in that regard. So they know that. Who else needs to be sacrificing, though? Well, let's turn over to Romans chapter 10. Read a couple of verses from Romans. Is it just those who go and preach out into the world? Let's see what it says here. Romans chapter 10. Beginning in verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Hmm. Well, there's an interesting concept. It's not just the preachers, but there's also those who send the preachers. Interesting. Turn over to Acts chapter 11. <clears throat> Beginning in verse uh, 22. Then the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. Barnabas was the preacher. The church in Jerusalem sent him out. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Acts 13, verse 1. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with the Herod of Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Interesting. People are being sent out. Preachers are being sent by the congregations. Turn over Philippians. Another example here. Philippians chapter 4. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 14. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. This is Paul writing, remember. 
Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Now that I seek the gift, but I, not, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice. Wait a minute. A what? An acceptable sacrifice from those who are in Philippi. Well-pleasing to God. A sacrifice that was well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul's saying, you provided for me, you only. And he even mentions it as a sacrifice. What kind of provision was it? Well, financial perhaps, perhaps clothing, food, maybe shelter. Whatever it was, that was a sacrifice to them. You say, well, you know, they're probably pretty wealthy. Well, I don't know. Maybe they had to forego the trip down to the ball game that day so they could provide for Paul. I don't know. Interesting concept, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 11. One more example. Verse 7. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians, I'm in 1 Corinthians, hold on a minute. Verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 11, verse 7. Did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? And I love these verses because, yes, it's so, <laughs> the language here is unbelievable. I robbed other churches taking wages from them to minister to you. Now, could you imagine a preacher coming here and saying that to us? I robbed other churches because you didn't help me out. <laughs> and when I was present with you and in need, I was burdened to no one for what I lacked. The brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you. And so I will keep myself. As in the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows. He's rebuking them because of the things they're getting back into. And he's saying, I didn't take any, I didn't even take support from you. I had others who were willing to do that to sacrifice, to help provide for him. Turn over to Matthew 10. I want to read what the Lord said about those he sent out. Because I think it's very poignant. It's interesting to see what he says. And it's something that we might need to consider a little bit. Matthew 10. And beginning in verse 5. <clears throat> this is when he sends the 12. And now they're instructed to go out. It says, These 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter the city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go... Preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you, you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics nor sandals nor staffs. 
for a worker is worthy of his food. Now, whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house and city, shake off the dust from your feet. Surely I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. What's the point of those 10 verses? Yeah, he's, of course, this is before the New Testament's come in. This is for, they are to go out and preach the gospel, right? And him crucified. But what he's saying is, you don't need to worry about yourself. You're going to sacrifice. If you're going to preach, you're going to sacrifice. God's going to take care of you. When you go into a city, inquire who is worthy. God's going to provide, in other words. There will be people there to help you. If no one does, they're going to be judged. And it's the same way today. That's what you've got to do if you're going to preach the gospel. You've got to be willing to sacrifice. You've got to be willing to trust in God. And maybe that's kind of the heart of the matter there, you know? Maybe our trust in God is not necessarily where it should be. Perhaps if it was more, we were more faithful, we had a little more faith, we wouldn't worry too much about preaching the gospel. Right? Just as preachers are stewards of the gospel, we are too. Those of us who send them out. Those of us who supply them. Those of us who provide for them. And guess what? We're going to be given account one day of what we did for the Lord just as much as anybody that goes to Africa, just as much as anybody that goes to India, just as much as anybody that goes down inner city Atlanta. See, it's not just the preachers. We don't get to just send them out and let them do it all, and we just sit back, you know. I mean, when, when the Army sends the guys out to war, do they just sit back at the fort and drink it up? No, they have to support those guys or the war will be lost. So, it's not just the preachers who have to sacrifice for evangelism, folks. It's all of us. Yeah, you may not be able to go out and preach like Paul or Barnabas. Maybe you can't go out and knock doors in the community. But you can do something. And that's what the sending out is all about. Sacrificing yourself in support of the kingdom. We have a mission to preach the gospel to the, to the world. And turn over to third, let's turn over to third John. I'll read a verse from there. Third John uh, in chapter one. chapter 3 John verses beginning verse 5 beloved you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God you will do well because they went forth for his name's sake taking nothing from the Gentiles we therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth 
what John is writing there is your fellow workers. You may not be out there preaching in the jungle or preaching on the street or knocking doors, but you should be providing the supplication for those who are. You should be helping them do what they're doing. You should be a fellow worker for the truth. Say, well, how can I do that? Well, for one, that's what the Go and Do program is all about. I know I've been harping on that some. Uh, I know we're running out of time, but real quickly, there is the financial piece, right? Do you know how much money we spend on mission work? If you look at our budget, we've got a $1.5 million budget. About 27 to 28% of that is spent on direct mission work. Did you know that? Local evangelism, around $50,000 is budgeted. We have about $182,000 budgeted for uh, foreign missions and around one fifty dollars for local domestic missions. We have almost $300,000 budgeted for mission work, direct mission work. You could say the whole budget's for mission work. Really, right? Because the rest of that is in support, should be in support of those who are preaching the word. We have a mission, right? We have that mission. Are you working still? Is part of the reason you're working still is support evangelism? Have you ever thought about it that way? I know it's kind of late for me to be preaching about what you're going to think about what you're going to do in your lifetime, for most of you anyways. But perhaps that's something you should have thought about. One of the reasons I need to work is I need to support the preachers. I need to be able to financially provide for that. And I, I, I'm not bragging or anything, but that's one thing I thought about when I was going to college. How can my talents be used? And I'm not a preacher going out. I'm not a going out every day preaching. I, I have a job, secular job, and I get benefits. But part of the reason I have that job was I felt like that was where I could best support the work. I was going to read the parable of the talents. I don't have time to do that now. You know how that goes. One was given how many talents? Ten. Another five. Another two. The guy with the ten made ten more. He went to work. The guy with the five made five more. He went to work. The guy with the two buried him. What happened to him? He was sent into outer darkness. You have a gift. You should know what it is by now, hopefully. You need to put it to work. And that might mean you've got to sacrifice a little bit. And that's what we're making right here. Point is, the gospel ha has been preached to the world. Paul says that in Colossians 1.23. But it continues to need to be spread. So many don't know Jesus. They've heard the name, maybe. They've heard something about it. They probably saw some terrible joke on TV about him. That's all they know. We've got to preach the gospel. And that's going to require you to sacrifice. But guess what? We have a reward waiting on us in the end. All right, sorry for the overtime. Thanks for being here.